Well, good morning, everyone. We can do a little better than that. Good morning, everyone. There we go. For those of you in our video teaching service, good morning. Listen, for those of you in our video teaching service, our entire church is going to be together two weeks from now. We've got 10 Christmas services. They're all in this room. They're all live. My prayer is that you are already thinking about the Christmas service or services that you will come to, and you already know who you're going to bring. You've made an invitation to them. You're planning to ride together. You're planning to grab dinner together afterwards. Make outreach a part of your Christmas season. Don't come alone to one of our Christmas services. They're going to be phenomenal. If you're in our video teaching service, I'll be back with you next week. Thanks for being on mission with us and watching on video today. If we get to the end of this next week, literally seven days from today, uh, and this campaign that we're in has been successful, we'll know exactly how long our church will be, two different places, five different services at the exact same time, and when we'll be back together. We're in a series that we're calling Difference Makers Chasing the Vision. If you haven't already, I want you to open your Bible to John chapter 6 and grab your notes out of your bulletin uh, so that you can follow along. Fire up that Journey Church International app. If you have a smartphone or a smart device, you'll be able to follow along that way. If you're brand new and you say, I don't have a Bible, I don't know how to follow along, all the verses that we read are going to be on the screen next to me. If you have your smartphone and our Journey Church app and you click sermon notes, Everything on the TV will be in your handheld device, and you can send it to yourself at the end of the message. Before we dig in today, I want to say a big happy birthday to my wife. Tomorrow, she turns 40, um, and I am celebrating her. We are celebrating her as a family. Here's what you need to know about Danielle. The Sunday that Jesus or Danielle says, Christian, you're done, um, I'm done. Every Sunday that I get to stand up here and preach is a Sunday that my wife has given me support uh, and encouragement and permission to do it. This is an us thing, not a, not a me thing. Uh, scripture says I've got to lead my family well to be able to lead you at all. So, Danielle, I love you. Um, I think your 40s and 50s in marriage are the reward for just making it through your 20s and 30s. So we are looking forward. We are looking forward to the next 20, 25 years of life. In your 20s, marriage is hard. In your 30s, it seems like you're just chasing kids. But our kids, we had them young, are almost gone. So I said, man, I'm looking forward to our 40s and our 50s. I think we finally learned how to be married. Uh, and maybe without kids, we'll have time to be friends again, which will be very, very exciting. We're in a series called Difference Makers, Chasing the Vision. You say, what's the vision we're chasing? It's the vision God has called every person to who is a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, the vision for your life that we find in God's book for you is that you would know God, that you would be transformed, that you would find your purpose, and that you'd make a difference, that you would do it, that you would know who God is, that you would let him know you deeply enough to change you, to make you more like him, that you would figure out who God has created you to be, what God has created you to do, and then you would do it. You would go make a difference doing that. As, in, as individuals, that's what we're trying to chase in this series. And we believe if enough individuals will chase that vision together, that our church will chase the vision that God has called his church to chase. A people who know God, who live to make him known. A people who have taken the time to allow Jesus to transform them, who now want to help see others transformed to become like Jesus. A people who has found their purpose and is living on mission, and a people who have decided that together they can do more than they could by themselves. That's been the whole theme of the last five or six weeks at our church, and here are the goals today. As we dig into John chapter 6, I've got three goals for those of you who are here, those of you watching online, those of you in our video teaching service. Here's what I want to happen today. Goal number one, I want you to accept an invitation to participate in a miracle. We're going to learn from John chapter 6 how you can accept an invitation 
to participate in something that Jesus is going to do. To do that, number two, here's my second goal. You're going to have to learn to trust that what you can offer is enough. Some of you heard me talk about kind of chasing the vision of Christianity, and you thought, Christian, if I discovered my purpose for my life, and I did it, would it really make a difference? Yes. Yes, if you can figure out who God has created you to be, what God has created you to do, and if you just do it faithfully, yes, it will make a huge difference. You have to trust that God can use you. And then number three, to believe that God will not just use you, but he'll use your faith to feed others. That's the story we're going to look at today in John chapter 6. If you've grown up in church, it might be a story that you're familiar with, but before we ever open the word of God, we try to open our hearts and ask God to just speak to us. So would you do that here and in our video teaching service? Would you bow your heads with me quickly? Would you take that deep breath you've been meaning to take all week long, but you've just forgotten to? <coughs> just just kind of clear out everything going out, going on in your heart and in your head. And give these next few moments to Jesus. Jesus, for 2,000 years, you've invited the least likely people on planet Earth to give their best. And then you've used it to show the world who you really are, the Savior of the world. Lord, use our people and our church in that same way over the next two weeks. If you're here today, ask God to speak to your heart. Ask him to show you the reason he brought you to church today, the reason he had you tune in online and tell him you'll try to do whatever he speaks to you. God, our hearts are open to heaven. Speak to us. We see things in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. We're gonna jump into John chapter six. In John chapter six, we're gonna read a miracle about Jesus feeding 5,000 men. It really should be called the feeding of the 15 to 20,000, not the feeding of the 5,000. It's the only miracle recorded In every gospel about the life and ministry of Jesus, four men wrote biographies about the life and ministry of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all kind of tell different stories. The only miracle every one of them outside the resurrection talk about is the feeding of 5,000 men, 5,000 people, which was really probably 15 to 20,000 people. It was a pretty big deal in the life and in the ministry of Jesus. People who knew about Jesus knew about this miracle. Here's what had happened. Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, had just been killed He'd been killed for speaking out um, against sin in the life of some of the leaders in his country, uh, and just standing for the truth got him killed. Uh, He had been facing some tension from family and friends. They'd begin to question the motives of his ministry, why he was doing ministry, the way he was doing ministry, and he needed some rest. So he told his disciples, let's get away to kind of a quiet place. Let's rest for a little bit. I'm mourning. I'm facing a little bit of family tension. Would be good just to kind of rest a little bit, and when they went to rest... The people found him, everyone showed up, and they were hungry. That's the story we enter in John chapter 6, and here's what we read. And starting in verse 1, it says, Sometime after this, after John the Baptist, after all the family tension, after a hard season of ministry, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside. He sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. 
There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Let me set this scene briefly because verse 4 tells us that this crowd was traveling to Jerusalem for Passover. This would have been a crowd of tens of thousands of people traveling from their homelands all over the Middle East to Jerusalem for Passover. Passover was celebrating an event in Israel's history where a people had lived in bondage to a foreign country, Egypt, and God had just set them into spiritual freedom by delivering them from Egypt. Passover um, was an event that celebrated the fact that when the people were in the wilderness with not enough food to eat and not enough water to drink, God showed up and he gave them food and water to drink. Passover was an event that celebrated the fact that God chose a lamb as a sacrifice rather than people, and he let people choose the sacrifice of a lamb so that they could have life. That's what they were heading to Jerusalem to celebrate, but interestingly enough, they looked, this crowd in John chapter 6, a lot like the people who came out of Egypt. This was a crowd that was in bondage to a foreign nation. Rome at the time was controlling the world, and really the Israelites were just kind of a subject nation to them. They were a people who were in the wilderness of kind of northern Galilee, traveling from their homelands to Jerusalem. They probably were getting ready to run out of food and water as they were getting on the final two and three days of their journey. And they were people who, while they were going to celebrate the thought that God would allow a lamb to be a sacrifice, they met the real lamb, Jesus, on the way there, and their lives were transformed by the sign that was done in front of their eyes. It's really how the miracle took place that I want to study today. Because when you look at what Jesus did on this day in John chapter 6 to open the eyes of these people to who he was, when we look at how the miracle took place, we see a lot of similar things in our story that I think could maybe happen again, because I don't know if you've looked around recently and realized that I don't know if you've spent a little bit of time on social media, but we live, we live in a culture that's in bondage. We live in a culture that is in bondage to a pace that doesn't allow you to breathe. It doesn't allow you to have good marriage. It doesn't allow you to feel like a good parent. It doesn't allow you to feel like you have good friendships, good hobbies, good health. We live, we live in a culture just like the people coming out of Egypt, just like those traveling to Jerusalem 2000 years. We live in a, in a culture that feels like maybe we, we're imprisoned a little bit. We live in a culture today where loneliness is becoming a mental health epi- epidemic that is causing people to take or consider taking their lives. We live in bondage in a culture to a culture where less than half of marriages make it to the finish line. We, we live in a culture where people have thousands of friends on social media, but not one real friend on the day that they need them most. We, we live in a culture with a crowd that looks very similar to what we're reading about today, but I believe we live in a community where Jesus still wants to be seen, where Jesus can still save, where Jesus still provides, where Jesus still wants to open the eyes of people to, to who he is, the savior of the world. And every now and then he invites people to be a part of that process that he's planning to do. And my hope is that maybe our church in this season is gonna be the latest group of people that get invited into a miracle that Jesus is doing so people might know him as the savior of the world. As we look at John chapter six, we see three things that I believe still apply today 
to Jesus working in our world. Number one, here's what we see. Jesus invites us to participate in his miracles, but he does it to build our faith. Jesus invites us to participate in his miracles, but he does it, if, if you're taking notes, I need you to underline, he, underline these words. He does it to build our faith. I want you to look at John chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. It's funny what Jesus does here if you read the whole story from the perspective of John, which we are. It says, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. He did not need Philip's help in order to do what he was going to do. Philip actually could not really help him do what he was planning to do, but he knew he was going to do this miracle, and he thought, you know what? Instead of just wowing the people, I'm going to try to, I'm going to, try to change some hearts. So he asked Philip, hey, Philip, there's a big need here. How are we going to see this miraculous thing happen? You know, a, uh, a few months ago, actually, it was kind of in the middle of last year. I don't know if, if you all remember the Powerball lottery got up to a billion dollars. You all remember when the Powerball lottery got up to a billion dollars last year? It was the first and only time in my life that I have ignorantly bought a Powerball ticket. And here, here's, the, here's the reason why I did that. We were in the middle of planning our master site plan and building plan. Um, and I didn't, I, didn't want to, I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to do a building campaign. I thought, Lord, what if I could just pay for the whole building, like just give it to the church? So I took a couple days to think about this shows you how ignorant I am, the numbers that meant the most in the world to me. And I lined them up perfectly, and I walked into Miners, and I thought, all right, Lord, here we go. And I went to give them my numbers, and they pushed a button, and they just gave me a ticket with, like, all the wrong numbers on it. And I was like, well, I'm an idiot, obviously. That, you, know, you don't even get to pick your own numbers in this thing. And as I rode home, feeling like an idiot with my ticket on the seat next to me, felt like the Lord spoke to me, literally right out here on 150 between Miners and Prior Road. And he said, what are you doing? <laughs> what? what are you doing? Thought, well, Lord, I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to build the church without having to, I'm trying to build the church without having to bother the people. I'm trying to build the church without having to bother the people. I don't need the money. If I win, I'll give it all away, but I want to give it a little bit to the church. If I, I, want, to, I want to build a church without bothering the people. And God said, how's it going to feel like their church if you build it all? And God said, do you have any idea how many hundreds of families I want to invite into this process so I can build their faith? And, and you're, going to, you're going to steal that for them? Said, Listen, I'm already planning to do the miracle. I do it. But there's a lot of people like Philip I'd like to invite in because it will change the way they know me. The Apostle Paul, 2,000 years ago, planted a church in a city called Ephesus, got it up and going, then they left, and every now and then he would write them letters, and in Ephesians chapter 1, he wrote them a letter, and he said, I'm praying for you, but he told, him, he told them exactly what he was praying for them. He tells us what he's praying for them, and it's a fascinating prayer. It's a good prayer in the English language. It's a fascinating prayer in the Greek language because here's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, revelation so that you might know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. It's a, it's a really good prayer. But it's even better in, in the Greek language because in verse 17 and in verse 18, Paul says, I've been praying that you might know, been praying that you might know, K-N-O-W, been praying that you might know God better. In verse 18, Paul uses the Greek word, Ido. 
It means to know or possess information about. Paul says, as you, like as you live on your discipleship journey, I'm praying that you might learn. I'm praying that you might learn more and more things that allow you to have hope in who Jesus is, hope in who Jesus has called you to be, hope in where we are all going to be one day in eternity. I'm praying that as you learn more things, as you get more information, it's, it's going to continue to transform your heart and how you hope. But in verse 17, he said, I'm praying that a combination of wisdom and revelation will come together so that you can know Jesus better. This is the Greek word epinosis. And it literally means to know through personal experience. It's not something you learn. It's something you experience. It's not something you hear. It's something that you do. The word wisdom. Paul said, I'm praying that wisdom and revelation might go together in your life so that you know differently. You experience something that tells you to trust God. Wisdom is what you know. Revelation is how you see that play out in your life. So you go to the point of saying, I had always heard that, but now I know this because it's happened to me. You know, five years ago, our church was in this exact same season. We were raising money for this building that, that we sit in now. And I'm, I'm going to be vulnerable and transparent in front of you today so I, can, so I can show you how epinosis works. Because a lot of you have had these epinosis moments, know by experience. Danielle and I, five years ago, pledged $15,000 to this building that we're sitting in now. It's $15,000 that we didn't have, but we felt like that's what God wanted us to pledge. I had, I had to go do other jobs to, to get that money over an 18-month Period. I literally was preaching all over the country. I'd work here and then I'd leave Thursday night and I'd go preach someplace Friday and Saturday and then I'd fly back Saturday night and preach on Sunday. I had to do a bunch of events to make $15,000 to make our pledge. So Danielle, every Thursday night was dropping me off at the airport and then she would come pick me up on Saturday night. And on one of those trips, actually this week, this Commitment Sunday week, Commitment Sunday was coming. I flew to Georgia. I led a staff retreat for a church plant down there who learned about our church plant said, help us learn how to do uh, what you do, so we, we tried to help them do that. And as Danielle was driving to the airport to get me, there had been a little bit of ice and snow, and she wrecked on the way there. Wrecked on the way there and totaled her car. She was okay, thank God, but she totaled her car. I, I got there, and I had a text message waiting. Call me. I called her, and she said, you need to rent a car and come pick me up. I, re I, I wrecked. I'm on the side of the road with a, uh, with a tow truck, um, and, and they totaled our car. This was, this was the week. This was like Thursday night, and Sunday, I would give my first fruits offering and my pledge. And I had already, at that time, I had saved up $5,000. I'd been preaching, traveling. I'd saved up $5,000 to give my $5,000 first fruits offering to give our $15,000 pledge. And then I found out our car was totaled. We had not for a long time had any debt other than our house. And I thought, I don't want to borrow money to buy a car. Um, what do I do? And I actually, in a moment of kind of weak faith, in a moment of tension, I called one of our elders, who I'm really close with, and I said, here's what's happened. I've already saved $5,000 up. For, for my offering Sunday, is it possible God had me put this away so that I could spend it, use it on a car instead of the offering? Do you, do you think that's like God's plan in all this? Because I really don't want to borrow money. My budget is not designed for me to meet my pledge and, and have a car payment. And he said, Christian, did God tell you to give that money to the building or to a car? I said, the building. He said, then you just need to do that and trust God. And, and you got to borrow money and go buy a car because like you're the pastor of our church and you can't, you can't not have a car. So go, go, go get a car. So that Sunday, we, you know, we gave everything that we had saved up for the building. That week, we went out and we bought a car. Um, it's interesting. We made a $15,000 pledge with our insurance check. If you've ever had insurance total your car, they do not really usually give you enough money to go buy the exact same car. They've given us $4,000. We went and bought a $19,000 used car with about 100,000 miles on it. 
We put the 4,000 that way to $15,000 loan. Just remember these numbers. They just kind of work out together. $15,000 pledge, $15,000 loan. Um, that week as I'm heading to church, I get a call from a woman in our church who loves our church so dearly that every day when she went to work, she would talk about our church. She worked for a man who was a multi, multi, multi-millionaire. Um, and when he, one Monday morning said, how was church? She said, we're building the building. And she said, would you like to give to our building? And he said, yeah, I'll give. I'll give $10,000. So he was going to give $10,000 to our church. He'd never been here. He would never come to our church. Um, so she called me and said, my boss is willing to give $10,000 to our church. I said, that's awesome. Um, she heard about the accident that we had. Uh, she heard about us needing to get a new car. And she called me one day and she said, I talked to my boss um, and I told him, hey, I think my pastor needs that money more than the church. He said, I could give that $10,000 to you instead of the church. I'm going to bring you a check. And I said, don't do that. Don't do that. I said, I feel like God has always told me if I take care of the church, he'll take care of me. If that money's for the building, I don't want it. I can't take it. Give it to the building. Thanks, but no thanks. I, I appreciate it, but no thanks. So she put it in the offering on Commitment Sunday, and kind of that was that. I show up on Celebration Sunday. I can remember where I'm standing in Summit Lakes Middle School, and she's in the back hallway leading to the infant preschool area there. Um, and as I walk up, she hands me a folded check. I didn't even open it. I just looked at it. I said, what's this? And she said, when I told my boss that you refused the money that he wanted to give because you wanted to go to the building, he kind of chuckled and said, that must be a guy you can trust. So he wrote another one and said, give, give this one to the pastor. And I opened it, and I have no idea why. But it was 11000 not 10000 And I thought, maybe, you know, maybe a slip of the pen, a good one. Um, but, you know, but <laughs> no clue. No, I'd never, I'd never met this man. No clue. But I thought, all right, you know, Lord, thank you. Put it in my pocket, pre- preached our message, head out to my truck at the end of our celebration Sunday. Hey, we were trying to raise this. We raised more than enough. God is good. Here we go. Got into an old truck that I'd been driving that my dad had given me to drive when he upgraded to a new truck. Used to keep my keys in my gas tank um, so that if anyone ever needed to move my car in case it was in the way, anyone could move it. So 100 volunteers knew how to get into my car. And I walk out that afternoon after all the trailers are gone. I was always, in the early years, always the last one out. Um, and I get to my truck, and on, on my truck, on the steering wheel is an envelope. Um, and inside the envelope was a little note that says, Hey, Pastor Chris, we were praying for you. Heard about your car. Um, don't worry. We've made our pledge. We're going to give all our money. Um, but we wanted to give this to you too. And there were four $1,000 cashier's checks from the Bank of America in Belt. And I, to this day, don't even know who those were from. And it took me about 30 seconds to do the math and to think, seven days, seven days after I made a $15,000 pledge, seven days, I am holding in my hand $15,000 from people who I've never met. That, that's epinosis. That is going from my whole life I've heard verses about trusting God to I think you can trust God. I'm not saying if you pledge, you get your money back. I hope so. I hope so. I really do. I took that money and immediately our first car payment that we made paid off the car in full. And all of a sudden, we didn't have a new car. We had an upgraded car. We still had no car payment. And we had this faith that was bigger. Epinosis. God's inviting you to this miracle, not so we can build a building, but so that he can build something in you. Epinosis. You got to test him. You got to take what you know. You got to act on it. And when you do, that's going to result in a deeper knowledge for Jesus. Jesus invites us to participate in his miracle so that we can build our faith. Number two, let's keep walking through this story. Jesus multiplies what we give him in order that our faith might grow. Jesus multiplies what we give him in order that our faith might grow. He doesn't just do it for others. He takes what we give him and he multiplies it so we can look at it and say, our God is bigger than we first thought. 
In John chapter 6, verse 7, I, I love what Jesus does here with Philip. Jesus tells Philip, where where are we going to get food? And Philip answered, nowhere. It would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each person to have a bite. Jesus said, Philip, where are we going to get all these people? And Philip said, nowhere. Philip's faith was weak, and it made it unwilling. His faith was weak, and it made it unwilling. As a matter of fact, in the accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, The statement was a little more blunt. Philip, where are we going to get food? And Philip said, send them away. They can find it themselves. Where are we going to get food? That's up to them because there's no way that we can do this. The weak faith mindset says this. If we don't see how it can be done, it must not be able to be done. If we don't see how it can be done, it probably can't be done. So let's not even try. And what I'm learning as I've pastored our church for eight years and been in ministry now for 20, what I'm learning is people often don't experience the miraculous because they choose to live in the natural rather than the supernatural. They don't experience the miraculous because they don't need it. That is, by the way, the building that we're sitting in. That's why some of you are watching on a video teaching service today because we chose to live in the natural. We said five years ago when we started to build this building, we went to our church and we said, there's three buildings that we're looking at. There's a building we want. There's a building we need. There's the building we can afford. We're going to build, build the building we can afford. We, we were saying that we were doing that because of how financially responsible we were, but really we had weak faith. We said, there's a building we want. There's a building we need. There's the one we can afford. And even though we really need this one, we don't see how it can happen. So we're not even, we're not even going to try because God probably can't do the impossible. So we'll build the one we know we can afford. And our first Sunday in, I felt like Jesus said to my heart, how's the size of your faith feel compared to mine? Well, Lord, it's a little small. And God said, all right, epinosis again. Epinosis in reverse direction this time. You've learned your lesson. Don't do this again. Just because you don't see how it can be done doesn't mean it can't be done. Philip, how are we going to feed these people? Philip said, we can't. Better send them away. Philip's faith was weak. It made it unwilling. But some kid... Don't even know his name. Some kid believed, and his faith grew big. In his belief, it's all, you almost, you're almost embarrassed for this kid if Jesus would not have used him. In John chapter 6, we see Andrew. Philip says, there's nothing we can do. Andrew, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and said, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far are they going to go among so many? You need to understand, because we see this miracle wrong in our head. When you study the words used in the Greek language about the fish and the loaves, this kid had not just come from the Sea of Galilee and the bakery with two big fish and five loaves of bread. These were sardines. That was the word used, sardines. And these were crackers. A barley loaf was not a loaf of bread. It was a a very tough, it was a cracker. He literally had a Lunchable, for those of us who know what that is. (laughs) There's like 20,000 people. And Jesus is like, how are we going to feed these people? And the kid's like, you can have my Lunchable. <laughs> Ham and Swiss and six crackers. It's like, let's, <laughs> let's go. It's like, oh, bless his heart. Right? I mean, like, it's like, but Andrew says, hey, maybe, maybe we can try this. There's a lot of people I want to meet when I get to heaven. He's one of them. I want to ask him about this day. Tell me, tell me what that felt like to give Jesus your lunchable and have him do that. I mean, the whole world's talking about it, but what did it mean to you? Because if you ask me, I think the only thing that multiplied more than the food on this day had to be the faith of this young kid. 
The only thing that was multiplied more than the fish and the loaves was the faith of this boy. At the end of the day, when he went home, do you think he told his parents and his friends the story of what he gave up or what he gained? When he went home, do you think he talked about his sacrifice or Jesus' supernatural? I mean, at the end of the day, yes, Jesus multiplied food, awesome, but he multiplied faith, more awesome. And I think the only thing greater for our church than having a new building is having a new faith that's built on handing Jesus our best and watching him multiply that in us, watching him give us a heart of trust that we didn't used to have, watching him give us a heart of generosity that we didn't used to have, giving us the potential of moving into a season where God's blessing is gonna break open on us more than it's ever been before because he knows he can now trust us with it and we can trust him to be with us. Jesus multiplies what we give him in order to grow our faith. But just like in this story in John chapter six, it's not just about us. It's not just about us. Number three, we see from John chapter six, Jesus uses our best to bless the rest. It wasn't just about Philip, but it was about Philip. It wasn't just about this kid, but it was about this kid. It was also about everyone else who would be blessed when one follower of Jesus stepped forward and said, I will give you my best. You figure out what to do with it. When we look at verses 11 and 12, we see that Jesus used the rest to bless everyone else. Jesus then took the loaves, crackers, gave thanks, distributed those to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Did God change Philip's heart on this day? No doubt. Did God change Andrew's heart on this day? No doubt. Did God change Matthew's and Mark's who may have been there? Did God change John's? No doubt. They all wrote about it. Did God change the heart of some kid? No doubt. But in addition to changing hearts, he provided for everyone else through their life change. Jesus used a lunchable to teach a lesson. And here was the lesson. Your best in the hands of Jesus is enough to bless the rest. Your best in the hands of Jesus is enough to bless the rest. Some of you Some of you have been thinking for the last five weeks, I'd like to give, but the amount I'm going to give just won't impact anything. It's not enough. It won't matter. It won't help. I can only give $100, $250, $500. I'd like to give, but what I'm going to give, I just don't think it will be significant. Not only will it be significant in your faith life, Jesus will multiply it to bless people who are not even here yet. God will take care of the rest, but he needs needs your best. He needs all of us who have been called to just do what he's calling us to do. St. Francis of Assisi put it this way, start doing what is necessary, then do what is possible, and suddenly you'll be doing the impossible. I love this quote. As a church, we believe if we'll do what's necessary, what's possible is the best we can do, then Jesus will do the impossible with that. Not just for us and our hearts and our lives. Yes, it's always about us, but it's always about others. It will be enough to bless the rest because this group in John chapter six, headed to Jerusalem to celebrate a savior that might come one day, met him, met him for real on the road to Jerusalem. In John six fourteen, the best verse of this entire passage is this, after the people saw the sign, that Jesus performed, they began to say, it's him. Surely this is the prophet who's to come into the world. They were going to Jerusalem because they believed in the past that they'd been promised that he'd come, but they realized when they saw the outpouring of Jesus' generosity spurred on by the faith of some kid, 
Their eyes were open to who Jesus really was, and they said, this is, this is him. This is the Savior that we've been looking for. But all of that realization started with the faith of some boy. What I find most interesting is that only John mentions the kid. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell this story, but they do not talk about a kid bringing fish and loaves. They just talked about how, how they, found, they found some food and Jesus multiplied it. John wrote his story of the life of Jesus. Scholars think maybe 60 years after the others had written theirs, which means he'd read them. And he probably thought, what did they leave out? What did they leave out that I need to put in? So more than 90% of the book of John isn't found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke because he had read their books and thought they missed all this stuff. He wrote this story, but he thought they forgot about the boy. You say, why do you think John put the kid in there? Here's why I think it. I think John at this time understood that generations of followers of Jesus would read these letters. And I think he wanted to inspire individuals who had a heart to give Jesus their best, but didn't think it would be enough to put their best in the hands of Jesus because he knew if we could be motivated by the faith of some kid that Jesus could use it to bless the world. My hope is that 99% of you next week will come with your best on Commitment Sunday and say, we believe in what God's doing. We believe in what God's called us to. We believe there's people in our community who are not here yet. We had an unbelievable event yesterday called Grinchmas Hundreds of our people in their building taking pictures with the Grinch and Santa Claus. It was unbelievable. We hid that event from the community because we said if we even put it out on social media, so many people will come, we'll have to turn them away. We cannot be a church that hides events that will allow the community to walk into a church for the first time in 2019 that hides them from them because we know we don't have room for them. But that's what, that's what we've been doing. And when we want to invite all of them, we have to multiply our services times two. We think we're in a spot where it's time to take a step forward as a church. And all Jesus needs is your best. If you're called to give, all Jesus needs is your best. Your Lunchable in his hands will be a feast that will feed our city. And when God adds it all up together, we're hoping it'll be enough to bring the trucks in, start moving dirt, bring some guys in and build a building. You've heard for the last five weeks, our goal through this series is not just have our hearts transformed personally, but to build a building for the next generation of our church. We believe our next step is this building that we've designed. If you lift the lid off, the priorities of this step are a worship auditorium that will allow our church, those of you in our video teaching service, those of you here, those of you at Summit Lakes, to all worship together under the same roof at the same time. Lots of community space, not just on Sunday morning, but so that when we have an event that we think people who never come to church would come to so they could take a picture of their kid and post it on social media, we'll have room to hold all of them. A massively upgraded children's ministry environment because we believe if they'll come take a picture with Santa Claus, maybe Jesus will grab their heart and they might come back on a Sunday morning, but we have to have room for them. All the parking that'll go along with that. It's our goal that at the very least, if we can't build everything, we can build and upgrade these few areas. We believe that we're gonna have to raise $8 million to $9 million in pledges over a two-year period above and beyond our giving, and in addition to that, take a small responsible financing package to get started on this, to have it built in the next few years. And we're at the end of the line. This really is probably the last time I'll ask because next Sunday we, we give, and we give and we go next Sunday. So we're asking you if God's called you to to give. Next Sunday is Commitment Sunday. We're asking you on Commitment Sunday to do two things. One, if you look inside your bulletin, we've gone over the mechanics of this every week. I'm going to do it one more time. We're asking you to bring 
your two-year pledge and what part of that might be your first fruits offering. If this were Danielle and I two years ago, it would look like this, our total pledge amount that we were gonna give in total over 18 months is what our first building campaign was, was $15,000. On the first Sunday, we were gonna give five instead of buying a car because one of my accountability partners spoke some faith into me. We're gonna give 15 in total. We're gonna give five up front, which means we'll give the other 10 over the next 18 months. I've had a few people say, Christian, are these two different numbers? I'm gonna give this much on December 15th and then I'll pledge to give this much more. No, this number actually includes your pledge, your first fruits number. My total pledge is this. I'm gonna give this much of it on day one and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray and we're gonna pray that you'll be able to give the rest of it. We're gonna ask you to prayerfully, if God's called you to give, fill that out and on or before next Sunday, put that in the offering. And when we add it all up together, when all of our Lunchables are thrown on the table, we're gonna hope that somehow they are multiplied to, f- to feed our city what it needs. And then on Christmas weekend, at our 10 services, we're gonna celebrate this. Now, some of you are thinking, I'm coming to church on Christmas Eve, but I'm gonna tune in on the stream for our first one because I wanna know, and we're gonna turn the stream off. We are gonna get to the end of the service. We're gonna take communion, and I'm gonna say, shut the stream off, guys, and then I'm gonna tell one service at a time what God has done for us. Some of you just change when you're going to come. You say, well, if I, if, you, if, I, if I text you, you'll tell me early, won't you? You'll have to try that and see how, see how it works. But on all those Sundays, we're going to celebrate. And our hope is that we will say we made it. And if we, if we didn't, we, will, we believe in the sovereignty of God. We will have made it as far as we were supposed to make it. And we'll pray about what to do next. We really need to raise a minimum of $8 million pledged to kick off the process. But as I've told you, we've already got 5.2 of that pledged. Three quarters of the race have already been run by some really early, faithful, generous people. We're handing the baton to our church now and saying, will you, if God has called you to give, will you throw in your best as well? We believe God is inviting us into his latest miracle. We believe that God is going to use what we do to build our faith so that we can know epinosis, not just what we've heard about, but what we know from personal experience. God blesses us when we work to bless others. And we're gonna believe that our best will be enough. You might be here, may may not be able to give in this season. We've told our people, not everyone in our church is gonna give, but my hope is the vast majority will. If you can't pray, no guilt, no shame. Not everyone can give right now, but if you can, give your best. You say, Christian, it's not very much. A Lunchable's not a lot but it's enough in Jesus' hands. Give your best, and together, together, hopefully we'll see a miracle happen that allows our church to look up and think, hey, that Jesus, he, he might really be who those people say he is, and maybe he can change my life too. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over this room in our video teaching service. Even if you're watching online, God, we thank you for the lessons that we just learned through the life of some kid who accepted an invitation to the miraculous. God, thank you for inviting us into the latest miracle that we trust you're going to do. Multiply, God, what we give you so that it might build and grow our faith and let whatever we give, regardless of how much we think it will help, be enough to bless the rest and feed our community in a way that shows them who Jesus is. God, let our acts of faith result in spiritual sight for others so they might see Jesus like we do. We're gonna need your help. 
But God, we trust if you give it, it will be enough. So help us. We love you. We need you. Help us, Lord. We ask these things today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Amen.